Totally Football Show. Today, Man City, Pep side, break records sound like one as they sweep past another rival, while Chelsea down Man United. Spurs win again at Wembley, successfully evading Palace attacks. One of two such stories we've heard this weekend. And West Ham manager finally gets on the same page as their supporters by leaving early. We ask what next for the Hammers, salute Burnley Brighton and the power of Seagulls and catch up on action around the world. Plus, we look forward to the start of those Road to Russia playoffs this Thursday as Northern Ireland take on the Swiss. Can they make it to their first World Cup in 32 years? It is the Totally Football Show. And here's your panel today. We've got Daniel Story in. Lovely to be here. FSF Football Columnist of the Year and published author. Indeed, yes. Your book is? Portrait of an Icon. We'll uh, hear more about that later on, Daniel. Also here, Ian McIntosh. Hi. You've got a story about a seagull. Oh, it's finally time to tell it. Great. And Sasha Gurionov on the eve, Sasha, of the 100th anniversary of? The Russian Revolution. Excellent. Wow. Well, much to talk about today. I'm trying to think of a time with West Ham and uh, a hammer and sickly. There we go with that. Uh, if it was Palace, you could have Palace Revolution, of course, but that is it. Because Bilic has gone and uh, gone early. In fact, usually it's usually about one o'clock when everyone's finished recording their podcast. But the, the news has come in early, Sasha. So well done, West Ham, for you, announcing it. Yeah. You were at the game uh, yes, Saturday uh, afternoon. Yes, they were symbolic. They were shambolic a year ago. They were shambolic nine months ago, six months ago. And, you know, I was surprised that he actually managed to make it into this year. Uh, but it always seemed to be about a game or two away from the sack. Then they get a decent run of results and he stays. But against Liverpool, I mean, they set up as a 5-4-1, trying to deny the space. Then they mm. got caught on the um, caught in the corner. And to be honest, it was game over after that. He tried 4-4-2 second half and Liverpool just picked off the space. Right. Well, it's been, a, it's been on, in the mail for a long time, this. So, well, we'll talk more about uh, what happened at the London Stadium and what's going to happen with the Hammers uh, later on. But the big story, (laughs) Daniel, if you'll excuse, was, of course, Man City. They are now eight points clear after the win against Arsenal. That's a record after 11 games in the Premier League era. They've won 15 straight in all competitions. They have 31 points and their goal difference is plus 31. That's the best start to a a Premier League season after 11 games. they basically swear at your TV good. Yeah, they are They are running away with the Premier League and, and we talked about title challenges at the start of the season and the way it's looking, we're not going to get any. I haven't been swearing at them. I've been rubbing my thighs and going, oh, mm. that kind of good in some of the passing manoeuvres. Um, the, the goals they've scored, I think it's 38 goals now, there will be like five teams in this division who will not score over the course of this season how many Manchester City have scored on fireworks night. Um, Crazy. That, that's how freely they're scoring. Yeah. Do you think Palace are going to score 38? I'm, I'm saying Palace will probably be one of the five that won't. Five? Yeah. Oh. I think it's generally about five Who or are you six. Who are then? Swansea, seeing it, that they probably won't rack up even 38 shots in that time. Mm. Um, Man United? Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Man City at the moment clearly far too good for the rest of the Premier League. Mark Carlyle asks, can you think of a composite European team to challenge Man City? English teams can't do it on their own. I like that. Are we at that point, Daniel, where the peoples of the earth have to kind of forget their differences and band together to <laughs> defeat this? I don't think we, we're not quite there yet. The only reason to even slightly doubt Manchester City is that they haven't played Manchester United or Tottenham yet. Um, and last October they lost to Spurs after their phenomenal league start and it kind of derailed them for 
a few months, really. Hmm. The, the caveat like... to that is that, yeah, they have beaten teams four through nine by an aggregate, I think, of 21. So, yeah, uh, there's more reasons for United and Spurs to be scared of them than they are of Spurs. I was going to say, the flip side would be yeah. that United and Spurs haven't played Man City yet. There, this weekend, new ways to be impressed by Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the thing that impressed, has impressed me this season is, is a slightly nerdy thing, but his use of his weaker foot... It, in shooting positions, he scored the winner against Chelsea with his left foot, scored the opener against Arsenal with his weaker foot. And there doesn't even seem to be a delay in his, everything seems to be natural for him. There doesn't seem to be a, even a thought process of, oh yeah, I might use my weaker foot here rather than trying to use my right as a normal, you know, mortal footballer would. And everything he does is is almost exact. There was actually, there was one pass in the second half when he was through on goal and should have played it across, I think, to, to Jesus to make it 4-1 and he didn't do it. And you can see the fans sort of gasp and go, that's not how Kevin De Bruyne is meant to play. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's raised our expectations and he's been, he's been by far the best player in the league this season. Mm. Slash, if you wanted to find, I don't know, twigs for other teams to cling on to, there's a little bit of sloppiness from Man City in the second half and Arsene Wenger making a fairly spurious case for a the penalty not being a penalty, but did he have a claim? Did he have a fair point about the offside on the third goal? Yeah, offside was definitely offside, but it did. But City should have been five six nil up by then, so it's, it made absolutely no difference. I think perhaps the only thing that might derail City slightly is trying to accommodate Aguero because they look better for me without Aguero with Jesus up front. I mean, uh, it's when Aguero got injured in a taxi when they played um, against uh, Chelsea and won one nil. For me, that was the most complete. To, to date, uh, City performance under Guardiola, and I thought it was significant that, that Aguero wasn't there. When I was on the show a few weeks ago, um, Rafael Honigstein uh, mentioned that perhaps Aguero was slightly hiding behind the work rate of Jesus. And here against Chelsea and then against Stoke, there was nobody hiding behind the work rate of Jesus. They were all working, it was moving so naturally. So um, I think, like for me, perhaps you should play without Aguero. The top scorer ever. Exactly. I mean, it, it sounds absolutely absurd, but. Again, that Chelsea game impressed me so much because I thought I finally maybe got the point of what Pep was trying to do. And that total plan perhaps did not include Aguero. I thought what they did off the ball was was key to stopping Arsenal getting any kind of rhythm. You could see Petr Cech desperately trying to roll it out and play from the back. But there were three Man City players all over, closing down every passing lane. That put him in a position where he had to go long all the time with his goal kicks. He had to um, uh, uh, smash it over the halfway line. But there's no point doing that when you've got Alexis Sanchez, who's about as tall as Kylie, and Mesut Ozil, who's probably not going to challenge for a header. Who's kind of like Jason a bit. <laughs> um, that's an interesting question Sasha proposing that Man City take the field without uh, the Aguero fellow should Arsenal be taking the field with maybe Lacazette who they splurged 50 million on or odd on uh, this summer rather than Sanchez well it's certainly an odd thing to spend the better part of 50 million quid on someone and not play him in, in your big games mm. and it's not the first time this season that, that that's happened uh, Sanchez is still he's I think he's putting in professional performances, but he's nowhere near the level that we we know. Were, were he they can better be. after Lacazette? Came yeah, absolutely. Arsenal. I mean, but then they also they also uh, benefited from the fact that City had kind of thought, right, we're two 0 up against mm. Arsenal, we're probably done for the day. All right, and another controversial um, team selection: Would they be better without Coquelin as a centre half? <laughs> I mean, Wenger's argument was that it enabled them to continue playing three at the back, which they'd done for you know for a period of time, and it, it, it brought a sort of an air of continuity to the team. And on Thursday, he, in the Europa League, he's played Hamid Elneny as, as a centre-back in the same way. But there has to be a case that if you're 
if you are selecting Francis Coquelin as a centre-back, it might be worth thinking about the change in formation rather than personnel. Yeah, and, and Coquelin is the last person you want um, in the middle there with the ball, under pressure, with lots of options to choose from. Um, he was just getting very flustered very early. It was, I, I'm not sure how many transfer windows Arsene Wenger's had, but I'd imagine it's quite a few. Mm. Indeed. Uh, Pep won the post-game too when he was told about uh, Arsene Wenger's complaints about some of the refereeing. He said, they tell me it was offside. I don't like to win in that way, but sometimes Arsenal win at Burnley in 96th minute with a hand, so sometimes it is like this. (laughs) Arsenal have Spurs in a fortnight. Chelsea and Man United, will they have watched that game before they took the field or would they have basically had a media blackout to focus on the game at Stamford Bridge? I suspect they, they knew the result and actually the way the first half panned out made it look as if both teams knew about the result because they we expected a kind of dour Manchester United Anfield performance and what we got was an actually very, a very open first mm. half um, as if to say Manchester City have gone eight points clear an hour ago. If we're going to hang on those coattails... A draw's not really good enough. Um, Sasha, you and Daniel were both there. It was curious how a lot of people were expecting Mourinho to do a classic Mourinho away against a big side performance. And it's fair to say it wasn't, as Daniel was just saying, it was a much more open approach. But in which case, is this the first time of other people getting into Mourinho's head rather than vice versa? Well, I think certainly Guardiola has been in Mourinho's head for the last number of years, uh, rather than the other way around, in my opinion. Um, But when I was watching the game uh, yesterday... It was almost as if United were set up to do the classical United away and suddenly they had to be a little bit more adventurous. So I actually thought the first half was a bit messy. And I think also in that formation, uh, I know Mkhitaryan had a stinker, but I think he has to do too much. The way they were set up, he has to press um, about two or three players at the same time. So I think he's too tired to do any creative work. So I think that's why he completely filled out the game. And then, of course, he's the guy who lost the ball when, uh, when Chelsea scored. So perhaps he's going to end up on the bench now. But I don't... And I think second half as well, um, yes, I mean, they threw the kitchen sink and put four up front and Fellaini came on. But it was almost like, yeah, I'm going to stick closer forward. I'm going to stick on Fellaini and see what we can get from this. Well, to be fair, Fellaini set up two very good chances to score. Oh, they were both, he had one himself, both for yeah. Chelsea, of course. <laughs> but, uh, giving the ball away just in front of his own goal. Uh, but <laughs> in terms of Man United's performance, the results have really fallen off since Pogba went out of the picture. Why doesn't Mata get a look in? I'm, it's not the first time this question's been asked, but why is Mata not I, I think, involved? He wasn't even on the bench this No, weekend. he wasn't. Uh, and, and the tendency or the suspicion when, when Mourinho took over was that his time at Manchester United would be done because he'd sold him to Manchester United from Chelsea. Um, and initially, Mata actually did quite well at the, the arrangement. He played more games than, than most people thought. But, I mean... <laughs> Mkhitaryan is clearly missing Paul Pogba, there's no doubt about that, he's, because he's having to do some of the pressing work that Pogba would do. But he's an international footballer and he was a pretty expensive signing and he was a brilliant footballer in the Bundesliga. So relying on the availability of a fellow player is not a particularly good look for an mm. elite footballer, I don't think. Absolutely, with the money they've, they've spent. Uh, uh, Ahmed Habab says surely Mu will go after Ozil in the winter. <laughs> so well, no, this was a story work. that was... Yeah. yeah. Any, any fresh word on that? Uh, not that I've heard, but I still don't understand it. Mm. Um, he doesn't strike me as a Mourinho player. There was that story not so long ago that Mourinho was sort of reduced to screaming in his face at Real Madrid, Are you a man? Um, and I, I don't know what the answer <laughs> was. Working out that answer, isn't it? We are Devo, yeah. I hope. <laughs> um, 
that one in nine stat that I was enjoying so much towards the end of last week, the which is now one in ten, of course, Mourinho, his team's away against mm-hmm. top six sides, one goal scored. Daniel, you were pointing out in your excellent winners and losers column... Thank you very much. ..that the seven games in that ten-game run with just one goal scored, that he's had with Man United have only featured, this is seven games, 13 shots on target. Yeah, and five of those were away at uh, away at Arsenal last season and four of them were away at Chelsea. So if you take five of those games, and I know that's slightly, you know, it's changing the statistic, but five of those games produced four shots on target. Wow. So when, when Manchester United are bad, they are smelly. All right, well, Simbaras, is Mourinho just a deluxe Tony Pulis? <laughs> I'm not sure. Even being a deluxe Tony Pulis is a compliment at the moment. If he um, wins in 20, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think he means it as a compliment. <laughs> is, it, is that a fair charge? No, no, it's not a fair charge because uh, there were reasons for appointing Jose Mourinho. Uh, one of them was to make Manchester United better and he's done that. One of them was to attract the best players in the world that they wanted and he's done that. The third was to turn them into title challengers and he's, he's not at the moment doing that but he would argue it's still a work in progress. Mm. Mm. It's interesting to note that uh, away from home, Manchester United's record is only one point and three goals better than Brighton. Brighton under Chris Hewton, of course. Wow. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Chelsea, who actually won the game on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. What was the reason for the difference in their performance? Was it the, the, the pre-game visit from Abramovich, the fact that Kante was playing, or the fact that David Luiz wasn't? Sasha? Um I mean, Conte after the game said he finally had his first choice three in the middle, which was Kante, Sesk and Bakayoko, and then he also could bring in drink, drink water. Um, but I think overall there was much more sense of purpose, uh, I thought, with Chelsea, because I, I think they actually had a plan to win the game, rather than United having an ad hoc plan, perhaps, to win the game. And uh, for me, I think Morata actually did pretty well, and the goal was excellent. And also, I think what helped as well, having Aspilicueta in his right place uh, as part of the back three, because I think whenever they tried to shift him, out to the right, um, there was it got disbalanced a little bit. I know Rudiger came on later and he did move out there, but I think overall, Aspiliqueta in the back three adds a lot of stability. And also, Conte loves Aspiliqueta, mm. and I think he loves having him in that position. And um, uh, so, I, th- I think overall as well, Conte talked about the balance that they had last season. And for him, I think it was the first time this season they actually had a balance uh, when approaching such a big game. I'm fascinated by this idea that um, Man United was an ad hoc arrangement improvised by Mourinho <laughs> after watching the first half of the 80 I'd love to know how that team talk went. In fairness to Mourinho, he did this against Chelsea towards the end of last season. Um, everyone expected him to play deep and try and pick him off on the counter, and he went straight for their throat. On that occasion, of course, they won 2-0. Um, and we should say, in his defence, had Marcus Rashford not closed his eyes and had the ball bounce <laughs> off the top of his head, they, you know, they might have got that lead that would have then enabled them to sit back. I mean, it's all... But yet again, that would have been sort of United taking advantage <clears throat> of a mistake... In that case, I think by Courtois, who came out and just didn't quite make it. That, that's how games are won. Yeah, I would say most for football. Um, or perhaps even life. Oh, interesting. Mm. Let's have a quick word on uh, Spurs, who are in third place and had their third straight win at Wembley. Sasha, you were there. Yeah, and uh, I... busy. Well, I had a busy weekend, three games. Um, I actually really enjoyed the way Palace played. Okay. Uh, I thought they were... It, it was great... Um, to see the 4-4-2 with very tight spaces, you know, very textbook Hodgson, but it's taken him only a few games to learn to defend, whereas, say, Klopp and Zidane did not really defend so well against uh, the Spurs side. Of course, Spurs side had players missing, a third-choice goalkeeper and stuff like that, but I thought um, uh, that Spurs were denied space. I thought that Townsend and Zaha looked really dangerous whenever uh, Palace broke. I mean, Zaha did miss an open goal, taking advantage of a goalkeeping mistake. Mm. And also, I think, very importantly, 
uh, Palace's heads did not go down once they conceded because at that stage they played quite well. I think um, Milivojevic and Kabai were a little bit too deep on the goal. Uh, but the heads didn't go down. They carried on playing. And uh, I thought towards the end, Spurs almost looked a little bit Spursy, slightly hanging on. You, th- you think it, you know, maybe something could fall here for Palace. And Sako was brilliant. I think Liverpool fans will be looking at that going, hmm, Lovren against Kane two weeks ago, Sako against Kane. Sako basically turning Kane on 44th minute, ultimately confident player. Lots of last-ditch tackles. He was everywhere. Mm. Well, for all the positives for Palace, it is still their joint worst start ever to a top-flight campaign. The other time, by the way, that they had four points from their opening at 11, they actually finished 11th. That was back in uh, 2013-14 when Tony Pulis rode to the rescue, Sasha. Could I just say as well, they do not look like a team that's fallen apart and is going to you know, go down. For example, uh-huh. the way West Ham did against Liverpool the night before. We'll hear more about that very soon. But you mentioned absences for Spurs and I guess this is a good time to do a quick stock check on their, their squad because Loris out, who's been outstanding for them. Paolo Gazzaniga comes in, does brilliantly, no? Hilariously. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought he did well. Yeah, there, no? was, there was a moment in the very early on in the game where um, he, he f- came for a cross and sort of flew at Mamadou Sacco and it was almost as if the challenge was too weird for the referee because he kind of kicked and punched Sacco <laughs> and the referee looked at him to say, well, I've never seen anything like that before so I assume it's not a penalty. But you know what? It definitely was a penalty. You know, that was so heartening for me because uh, Saturday afternoon I did exactly the same to a striker <laughs> and the referee didn't give it but the guy scored. Um, and, but there was also the time he came for the three ball to Zaha he uh-huh. came, stopped, came again, lethal. He was never going to make it. And then he also left a shot towards the end, fizzing past his post. And you could see looking in his eyes going, oh, that's much closer than I thought. But, oh, wow. Okay, f- fair enough. What What about, uh, well, Deli Ali was out and Son presumably playing in his place and he scored a magnificent curl goal. Oh, just very coolly, very well taken. But Son is a very, well, people keep on saying, I think he's a very underrated player to the extent that now I think everyone recognises how good now he rated. is. Yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's now very much rated. Okay, Harry Winks going off in that game as well. Uh, obviously, uh, concerns for England ahead of their uh, their friendlies coming up. We won't talk about that, though. There'll be plenty of chance over the international break. Uh, we'll hear more about Liverpool very shortly after this. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. If Thursday's too long to wait to hear us again, listeners, bear in mind that you can traipse along Good word, that traipse. Mm. Traipse along to the uh, Glee Club in Birmingham this Wednesday night and we'll be there. Are there any tickets left, producer Ben? Maybe. Have a look. Glee Club, their website. Uh, Also coming up soon, it's next month actually, is the FSF Awards. You can vote for your favourite writer, newspaper, player, website and why not podcast at fsf.org.uk slash vote. Daniel Story, you won FSF Writer of the Year Award Last December, has it changed your life? Uh, being presented the award by a Messrs James Richardson is the life-changing moment. No, no, it hasn't changed my life, no. Um, I, I'm going to be presenting again this year. Are you? And I think everybody wants to see what happens um, <laughs> when the podcast award comes up because you just know, how, you know it... we're on rails and we're heading towards one, <laughs> one outcome. Plastic glasses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, excellent. Oh, got some uh, questions for you here. Phil C says, if in five years' time you have to extend your portrait of an icon book for a young player currently uh, applying his trade, who do you predict it would be? In, I think it would probably be Kylian Mbappe. Um, I think he's, he's the one that is on the road to stardom without 
scoring too much scorn on Marcus Rashford. I think Rashford is a great player and a great youngster, but Mbappe is the one with the real, real star potential. Although. Mm. In that book, I didn't pick anyone under the age currently under the age of thirty, so he wouldn't th- qualify. What, yeah. what were the criteria then for your icon button? Tell us more about it and where they can get where they can get hold of it. Very quickly, it's a it's a, a portrait of fifty eight football players and coaches from the last sixty years. Um, it's being sold to raise money for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, which is uh, a charity that tries to find new ways to treat and beat cancer um, and relies solely on funding. and And all proceeds in the book go to the the foundation. It can be bought from portraitofanicon.co.uk, which is linked through the publisher website. Um, and in terms of what makes an icon ability, status, cult hero status, and but more importantly, I wanted it to be a sort of a look at the human side of players and coaches because nobody wanted to read a, a list of Wikipedia entries. Which was your favourite one to write? Uh, my favourite one to write was probably Paul McGrath. Oh yeah, why? Um, because he is the most stark reminder I can think of that that footballers are humans as well as players. Ah. I can highly recommend it. I read half of it in the laundrette last week and I did not want the spin cycle to end. Right. Excellent. All right, well, um, ooh, here's another question for you. Howard Hockin, if Forrest are finally moving back in the right direction, that's what you want to ask Daniel? Uh, yes, because they could not have moved further in the wrong direction. <laughs> All right, well, that, that that might be discussed in more depth, I'm not sure, Ian, in your excellent Totally Football League show, which returns... Will, will it? Okay, Yeah, cool. we're doing a championship special. Oh, right, there's a lot to talk about, isn't there? There is a lot From to talk about. From one end to t'other, yeah. uh, Wolves back on top, Sheffield United staying second. 4-1, they beat Hull. Leon Clark, you should be doing all this bit, shouldn't you? <laughs> no, that's all right, you're saving yeah. me a job. Leon Clark. Uh, I'm delighted to say we'll be joined by uh, Caroline Barker Boom. as well. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good show all about the championship. Right. Oh, with no FA Cup? No, we round. won't be doing the FA Cup. Um, right. a, a little break from the normal format. Sorry, Boreham Wood fans. Yep, get out. Uh, Sunderland, the bottom of the championship. You're going to be talking about that, I bet. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to be talking about Fulham stats man Klein. Yes, some very interesting stuff coming up. Can you give us a little there. hint about that? I know it was in Daniel Taylor's excellent uh, Sunday column. Yes, it's well worth reading Daniel Taylor's piece. He was um, uh, brought in about a year and a half ago. It's been kind of nothing but trouble um, between him and the and the coaching team in differences of opinions over he's players. He's the stats man. Yeah, he's in a stats of man. kind of analysing data for player acquisitions. And, and apparently has his own models which failed to pick out Tammy Abraham and players like that Um, he uh, didn't have a great relationship um, there he was fired and then spent the rest of the morning talking to police officers outside the stadium was this to do with the sumo wrestling suit (laughs) no unconnected to that Um, possibly connected to a number of tweets made in an account bearing his name um, which were deleted shortly afterwards which had some truly eye-popping allegations uh, which I'll expect we'll hear more of soon wow well, let's hope you can get into those on Tuesday's show. Probably you think the we suits prob- will have their hands all over it. Yeah, we probably yeah. won't be able to get into the exact nature of, of those allegations that right. were only made in a Twitter account bearing his name and may not have been made by him at all. All right, then. Let's right now move back to Premier League news. And, Sasha, you went to the London Stadium on Saturday evening where Liverpool have now scored eight goals in their last two visits, which is the same tally as West Ham have managed in their last nine games there. I'm not surprised. Uh, I think West Ham just make it very easy for Liverpool to play against them. Um, it was slightly different formation in May, but this time I think Mane's return 
was basically spelled the end for West Ham. It was interesting after the game. Um, Klopp said that he only decided that Mane will come back after just one training session on Thursday. He said he looked at him, he's like a little machine, he's going to be absolutely fine. And uh, then he said basically the formation was slightly ad hoc. I mean, when I started watching the game, it looked like a 4-3-3 to me, but for some reason with Wijnaldum at the base of midfield, and I was like, this can't be right. And then gradually it sort of shifted and rotated about 30 degrees, became almost a 4-2-4, um, which Klopp claimed was um, defensive because it had two sixes in the middle. But for me, it was basically ideal to pick off West Ham, which is exactly what they did after about 20 minutes of messing around. Corner breaks, West Ham do have three players back, as Bielic pointed out after the game, but they're just not tracking, and that basically game over. And second half, Billy's tried to change it, went to a 4-4-2, but they just left more space for Liverpool. Hmm. Yes, West Ham rallied a little bit, but it looked to me that basically Liverpool can score at will. So West Ham scored, Liverpool went, right, we're just going to put it beyond any reach. Very nice for Oxlade-Chamberlain, who finally had like a proper game for Liverpool. Right. And Klopp, I think, was speaking yesterday or today saying, well, he was just trying to get him up to speed with the with the whole ethos, the pressing, you know, how Liverpool play. And he looked good. Uh, again, well, I spent against West Ham, but he looked on the same wavelength as the rest of the players. Hmm. And in the end, it was just a procession. Uh, Salah with two goals, exquisite finish for um, for the fourth, and it could have been eight. And right. after the game, Billish was saying, I am not a broken man, but he looked a broken man. Interestingly enough, he he usually recently has been very quiet in his press conferences and you can hardly hear what he says. Yes. This time he was actually speaking properly, so I think he knew. All right. Jonathan Liu tweeting, lots of West Ham fans trying to beat the traffic by staying to the end of the game. <laughs> um, yeah, things in a very bad place at the London Stadium. And Moyes... Neville, that's the partnership that apparently is going to turn things around? Which is an interesting manoeuvre. Um, do you know how many of his last 54 matches as a manager? You do, don't you, Daniel? Because I think yeah. that's out your column. <laughs> Let's test Ian, though. How uh, many of his last 54 matches as a manager has David Moyes won? I will say five. No, oh, that's harsh, but it's ten. Oh, is it? Yeah. Wow, where did he get them from? You've stolen my thunder by undercutting oh. me. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, well, he was in charge of Man United for a while, so... How I presume that fits into no, the... No, 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 that's, that's Saucy... Most that's of those are a little run at Saucy Dad. Oh, OK. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's a bold move, and I'm not 100% convinced it's going to go through, given the reaction from West Ham fans, which has been a factor um, for that club before. Um, there are other managers available, um, and it's it's just an incredibly bold move to pick someone who, while in one sense is perfect for the job in that, he has in the past taken over a club seemingly set for relegation, turned them around, stabilised them and lifted them into the top eight. It was 15 years ago. Mm. And his last three jobs have been, uh, say, unmitigated disasters. Um, it's, yeah, I, I will watch it with interest, certainly. Right. Why not Allardyce? <laughs> I think, I think a, there's a, a few reasons. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they need? Somebody who just comes in and, and strips away all the... The frippery and, and, and just gets back to basics? Well, certainly Allardyce being connected with Everton makes less sense in terms of players and how they might set up than Allardyce being connected with West Ham. Okay, there's political factors involved and stuff, but, um, I mean, this the the West Ham squad uh, for the last 18 months, I don't think there's been any direction uh, in terms of sort of the ethos of what this team is supposed to be doing. Is it a bad squad? It's hard to say because, I mean, for example, they signed Arnautovic, came on on, uh, on Saturday and spent 30 minutes just waving his arms at everything. It was absolutely useless. So it's if, some, if someone maybe can get these players together somehow, but they just look like basically a mob at the moment. 
If you were to listen to the Muddy Knees Media-produced Football Manager Files, a collection of interviews with managers uh, okay. assembled over the the, uh, the past year or so, um, you would hear Slaven Bilic talking quite openly and very fascinatingly about the way that he works um, on the training field. And one of the things that he said he does is he, he tries to create a kind of platform and then leave the players to essentially, you know, express themselves. He's like the drummer, um, setting up a rhythm and they're just jazz and, and, they're, and they're off, noodling, mm. I believe the term is. Um, now, that when it's going well, that looks like genius. Um, when it's not, it's obviously very, very easy to make certain accusations like, Jesus, Henry, Christ, what the hell were you doing only leaving Aaron Cresswell back at a corner? Um, they're really good on the counter-attack. Did you not know this? Oh, my God, oh, my God, this is so bad. Um, being the general assessment of most West Ham fans in the stadium, um, it, it was, I think, long overdue. It, it, you know, I, I quite liked him. I really liked chatting to him. He's very generous with his time, very interesting. Um, but I can't help thinking that the end of last season was probably the time to do this. Right. Liverpool looked good, though, didn't they, Daniel? Yeah, Mohamed Salah is very quickly becoming the dominant force in that attack, which is strange because it's an attack that very much has worked as a unit rather than individual component parts. He scored 12 goals in all competitions now and Philip Coutinho was top scorer for them with 14 last season, which shows just Wait, they're top, see, they're top scorer in, in all, all competitions yeah. for last season? Yeah. 14 goals? Yeah, Philip Coutinho, because they shared the goals around, which oh, yeah. they haven't done as much. Intre- interestingly, Salah has had three times as many shots on target as any other Liverpool player. Really? Yeah, he's, he's, he has dominated that attack while still being a component part. He misses so many that yeah. you, with anyone else, you would wonder about his composure. Mm. Um, he's and, and yet he's he's... Just keeps going at it, keeps running, keeps shooting. Yeah, no worries about his composure on Saturday, but also on Saturday he actually ended up as the well as the forward. Yeah, second uh, striker, didn't well, he? Well, he was actually. If you look at the average position after the game, Firmino was deeper than him. Mm. So basically, it was Salah up front. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you name any other players who have slotted into a new team as seamlessly and successfully as Mo Salah at Liverpool? Says Jamie Hutchins. Well, they were raving about money last season, but Salah is doing better. Yeah, he, he, he would say better than Manny last yeah, season. Yeah, certainly right. more goals and just more more involved. Mm. Ian Wright at Arsenal. Okay, yeah, it's <laughs> good. Shout. Scored in his debut, carried on scoring pretty much forever. Mm. Manny being back, by the way, of course, huge news for uh, the last round of African World Cup qualifiers, which is uh, sees Senegal taking on South Africa. That's a big game. But uh, uh, they're playing one as well, aren't they? Uh, they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll find out and, and do a proper roundup. In Thursday's show. Uh, right, what else happened this weekend? Ian, you've got a Seagulls story, so let's talk about Swansea and Brighton. Uh, headline from Cornwall Live this summer, Seagull attacks are on the rise and people are getting injuries in their mouths, say pharmacists. Injuries in their mouth? Yeah, I guess pecking. Oh, really? Sounds like an excuse. Yeah. It? <laughs> it was a seagull. I don't know. I, mean, I want to read more about that. Well, they. Um, I lived in Cornwall for a bit in the late 90s. They are the size of dogs. They are absolutely enormous. It, it, the only surprise in the last 20 years is that we haven't had a story about one of them grabbing a toddler and flying off with it. They really? Are, they are big and they're aggressive. They're organised and intelligent. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's taken a while for me to actually talk about this, but um, we used to be plagued by them out the back window of our house. When you lived in Cornwall? When we lived in Cornwall, yeah. They'd okay. line up along the back fence and then just... Yeah. All the time. You were like Tippy Hedren. 
it was it was hideous and uh, I I did what I thought was very clever I got a shaving mirror and as the sun set behind them I, yeah. I deflected the rays of the sun into like the seagull's eyes well, very much so. Was it but Archimedes? With, with more seagulls. Was Archimedes at yeah. the Siege of Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it was like a shooting gallery. Ah, 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 knocking them off the fence. Down they right. all went. I thought it was all very, very good. Off I went to the pub to celebrate. The next morning... They had the mirror. <laughs> the shades. The next morning I woke up and the room looked very different. You know when it's been snowing and the room no looks... Uh, and it looks really different. They got into your room? <laughs> I opened the curtains, right. and the window, you couldn't see out of it. It You're was kidding. thick, white, with seagull poo. No way. They must have spent all night launching attack run after attack uh, run, the, emptying their the bowels. the windows in the house, were they similarly plastered? Untouched. Only the window from whence the light came was covered. Seagulls are terrifying. Seagulls. Hey, uh, which brings us on nicely, etc. and to, so on. To Glenn Murray. To Glenn. <laughs> who, who also covered Swansea with his own efforts. Right. Swansea are dropping. They're now yes. uh, sec- <laughs> second bottom in, in the Premier League. Um, not a great game, this one. 15 shots, but a fantastic result for Brighton. We mentioned they're up in seventh now, level with Arsenal and Liverpool on points. Glenn Murray, how many goals is that since the start of last season? 27. That's a lot of goals. 23 of them in the second flight. Yeah, but four in the Premier League. Yeah, in the last three games as well. Which is interesting because I was down at Brighton for the Everton game and I thought Murray looked um, a little bit slow, a little out of form um, and not really much of a threat, which Mm. once again proves that I am stealing a living. Five defeats in six at home for Swansea, who are facing real problems. Daniel? Yeah, Swansea kind of did a did what Everton did or did a, a budget version of what Everton did this summer by selling their best player and their most creative player which was obviously Guilford Sigurdsson to Everton and then basically replaced him with everything but and they bought three central midfielders um, I think it's fair to say Renato Sanchez has been the disappointment of, of this season um, they bought Wilfred Bonny back after two years of pretty miserable form um, and they have got their hopes resting on 20 year old Tammy Abraham's shoulders mm. Um and yes, they they look pretty wretched at the moment. Uh, last season, they they changed managers twice between August and January, and it wouldn't be any surprise if if this run continues if Clement paid the same price. Mm, unfortunate. Brighton up in eighth place. Huddersfield, fellow newly promoted side, are what are they? Tenth, and Burnley a seventh. Level with Liverpool and Arsenal. Koku fetishists <laughs> says, can someone explain to me the Burnley mystery? I guess it's the mystery of how they're doing so well on the road when that used to be their Achilles heel and what they're doing up there. Yeah, I mean, the mystery on Saturday was to play a Southampton team who had 13 shots and barely put one on target and Burnley had, what I think, one shot on target and scored it. Wow. Um, they're, they're... Which is kind of what they've been doing all season. They've just been taking their chances. They've been efficient, I think we'd say. So does that suggest that they're going to regress to the mean? or, or You can't sustain that level of I'm efficiency. Pre- I am prepared to go out there now and put my neck on the line and say they will not finish seventh in the Premier League. <laughs> um, but they won't go down, which is, that was their aim at the start of the season. Will they still have Sean Dyche when we return from the international break? I actually hope not, not for their sake, that sounds horrible, but I hope that Everton take a chance on him. Um, I hope that, I think he has earned that opportunity, that people will say he plays a different brand of football at Burnley and he plays, you know, eye-bleeding style of Pulis, but he plays exactly what Burnley needed um, and there is nothing to suggest that he wouldn't change that when he went to another club and, and fit his methods to fit the players he has and there is no doubt that he is 
the performing manager in the Premier League at the moment. There's right. also a, a bit of perception here. I mean, uh, uh, this isn't great timing because I think Burnley's XG for fans of these sort of things was 0.17 at the weekend and they, they still won. But we are talking about a man who played two up top um, for Burnley's entire season um, when, he, when he got him up in the first place. Um, I, I think Daniel's right. He's, he, he does what Burnley need to do. Um, but there's not one player in there who gives anything less than everything he's got. Um, they're very well organised. They're very good at set pieces. Um, yes, I still take Michael Cox's point that Everton don't really have those sort of players, but that's why there's a vacancy. Um, and, and that's what, what he needs to do. The only thing about Deutsch that I am worried about is his attitude, which sounds a bit strange, but he can be very, very prickly with the press mm. uh, and anyone who, who criticises him. Um, he said to me once that he got, um, he'd have people come up to him and say, oh, have you considered playing a back three? And he'd say, what do you do for a living? And he'd be like, oh, right, a plumber. How long have you been a plumber? 35 years. Right, well, I've been in football for 35 years and I know what I'm doing. And if he does Sounds that... Sounds quite fair, to be It honest. is absolutely <laughs> fair, but it's a question of PR. If he does that or if he gets tattoo of journalists or he has what appears to be the perfect balance of a chip on both shoulders up in Merseyside under far more scrutiny, he mm. will make his own problems. But as a manager, I think he's brilliant. Also, I think the plucky little Burnley thing isn't going to work at Everton. The fans will really dislike that. Yes, that's true. You got a great stat, says Frost29, Daniel, about English managers from 1950 to 1970. Is that right? Or from the age of 50 to 70? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's this perception that young British coaches are being held back by the arrival of, of foreign managers is mm. to an extent valid, but seven of the last 13 managers appointed in the Premier League are Brits between the ages of 50 and 70. And it, the favourite for the West Ham job to replace Slavon Bilic is David Moyes, who would be another in that category. Um, there's the barrier to young British coaches. It's kind of this lack of... Ian said that it was a bold move to choose Moyes, and I think that's right in an extent, but it's also a pretty unimaginative move. Right. It's, so the obstacle is is the same old names yeah. that are hanging around cluttering up the opportunities as opposed to foreign managers. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the term British manager is now almost interchangeable with Sam Allardyce or yeah. Tony Pulis or David Moyes. They're seen as firefighters, and therefore if you want a firefighter, you go British. If you want someone to be a bit sexy, you go foreign, which is very stereotypical, but that's, that's kind of where English football is now. Who are the sexiest British, uh, British managers, young, under 50? Eddie Howe is sexy and British, um, yeah, and is, that's yeah. about yeah. it. <laughs> no, but no, but sure, this is why I want Sean Dice to get the Everton job because I think he's earned it, and I right. think if he doesn't get it, he very quickly, you know, he's manager of the team in seventh at the moment. Mm. So where does he go from there? Because he's not going to get a top six job because he's not shown it at a club anywhere like those top six clubs. So I hope he gets Everton, so we can, if only, so we can stop this interminable cyclical <laughs> argument of they don't get a chance and they'd be really good. Ian, let's have some more sexy young English managers. Well, to be honest, there there aren't really any within range of a Premier League job. You look at the Championship, Wolves is Nuno, he's not going anywhere. Uh, Chris Wilder was with Northampton, uh, right. now with Sheffield United, doing incredibly well. But that would be a very rapid step up from mm. dealing with lower league players to dealing with Premier League players. Neil Warnock's at Cardiff, Lee Johnson was on the brink of the sack with Bristol City last season. Steve Bruce is at Villa, Gary Rowett still got proven yeah, himself at the, Derby. The there's not any, and yeah, there's the... not any names, really. Okay. Um, the most interesting one at the moment is Paul Hurst at Shrewsbury who's done incredibly well getting them up to the top when they were almost relegated to the fourth division but I would have thought he would be the kind of person Sunderland should be looking for I mm. think it's a bit of a leap to say Shrewsbury to the Premier League I think my nomination would probably be, be Kevin Nolan he's 
top of the league with Notts County at the moment, and albeit in League Two, but. <laughs> Having spoken to him, he does is he still am- do the chicken celebration? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. But having spoken to him, he is an ambitious manager. And mm. uh, there was not so long ago that both the Bolton and West Ham jobs looked like they might become available. And you could you could see in his eyes that he saw his path to the top. And and he's done brilliant things at Notts County. So I don't I don't think he'll be there for that long. He, um. he would have a big advantage in that. You know, he's played at that level. He knows those players. That's always going to be the problem. They're two very different sports now. Dealing with people who are earning three hundred, four hundred pound a week, and dealing with people who are earning eighty thousand pound a week. Um, so it's almost like a completely different vocation. Mm, fair enough. Is David Unsworth sexy? Oh yeah. That to uh, come from behind, and please, I didn't mean those two sentences to go in such close proximity against Watford at the weekend. Certainly got uh, a lot of temperatures rising, heart rates r- racing. That kind of thing. So they were they were two nil down in a crazy second half, not least because it went on for almost an hour, <laughs> and they came back to win three two thanks to a, a late missed penalty in the what one hundredth minute, hundred and first I think. Wow, I've seen a penalty scored in the hundred and first minute before. Did quite against Arsenal, maybe mm. it was ninety ninth. Uh, but here the big factor was the substitute goalkeeper. So Nias knees uh, Gomez in the head. Right, uh, that's the stoppage. Uh, Gomez comes off. Carnegie comes on and yeah, he just runs out of his penalty box, misses the ball, Nias walks it in and Watford are shambles after that. So I think that that moment was when Watford broke and Everton got a little bit lucky. Um, and also, like I'm told by the Everton fans who were at the match, once that first goal went in, uh, the um, Goodison Park became a very, very hostile place. They basically, there was no way Watford were going to survive that. And basically Everton just went kitchen sink and everything at them. And Watford couldn't cope with the intensity at all, especially that, with the dodgy keeper at the back. It's a good sign, though, that they have that intensity again after... You've seen recent performances mm. when the blood was up at Goodison. Certainly the the home result against Lyon, where oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, well, they were result against Lyon. And then they yeah. followed that with... It. But what I'm saying is that the, the, passion, the passion was there, but the result wasn't. Um, but anyway, after three defeats in a row, including, as you say, most recently on Thursday, a 3-0... Uh, scoreline away at Lyon. This is a massive boost for the club, but it doesn't change anything. Unsworth still going to go, is he? Um, it, it makes it slightly more awkward because you do see a result and a performance and a noise like that as something to build on, um, but they may be too far down the road already. But it, it was certainly the result the club needed. It was also what I needed because a couple of weeks ago I referred to Everton's young defensive midfielder as Benny Banging Time. Um, his actual name is Benny Beningaby, so I'm happy to set the record straight. I must say as well, actually, in Unsworth, um, uh, propping up Unsworth, uh, all his subs were involved in the three goals. Lukman played the pass for the first one, Carlit Lewin scored the second, and Lennon won the penalty. There you go. Uh, let's take another little pause and we'll be back with more exciting things from around the world, actually. Producer Ben here, people. And, you know, I was talking to our friend Raphael Honigstein recently and he was telling me when it comes to cars, he drives a BMW. When it comes to sausage, it's got to be Bratwurst. When it comes to pudding, it's Black Forest Gatto. And when it comes to stubble, he is all about Cornerstone. Why? It's all about the German engineering, of course. Cornerstone super sharp blades are made in the fatherland, so you know you're getting the absolute best. And right now, you can pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. All you have to do is head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Hey, we've got so much stuff still to talk about. Listen, I hope you've got a while for us yet. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to talk about Celtic in Scotland breaking their own domestic record? 63 games 
unbeaten. This after a 4 0 win over St Johnson. Is this terrible news? If, like, for 63 games, no one's been able to put a hand on them? Yeah. Brendan Rodgers understandably came out after the game and, and did what Brendan Rodgers does, which is talk up the impressive nature of the run, talk up the strength of the squad, talk up the, the stamina within the team to go, you know, the lack of complacency. But yeah, it, it, there's no doubt that competition has barely been lower over mm. the course of that run. And it, Celtic fans will not mind one little bit if they win every game for the next hundred and the next three and a half seasons if it means they win every trophy. But there has to come a stage where when Celtic are unable to compete in Europe mm. but unable to have any competition at home, then the whole thing's become slightly farcical without me inviting a torrent of abuse from their supporters. No, and uh, any prospect of Rangers closing the gap has uh, been diminished by, well, events of five or so recent years. Mm. Um, they are now linked with a new manager, though that is Steve McLaren, apparently. Really? Yeah. OK. Where is Steve McLaren now? Uh, possibly Glasgow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Ben says he's in Israel. Is he? Huh? Well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll ask Celtic fan Kevin Bridges at our live show at the Indigo, which is coming up later on in November. Nice. Uh Turkey, did you see that extraordinary, extraordinary moment in the under-17 clash, which we were all watching live between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray? Uh, Sasha? Knee height at the knee. Flying. Uh, flying across the pitch. It's the, is it yellow the worst card. tackle you've yellow ever card. seen? Well, not to get sent off for, yeah. Got a yellow. Yeah. And, you you know, you've watched Liverpool for, for years and that. <laughs> but, yeah, you only got a yellow. It's extraordinary. Uh, it was Kind of, in its violence, it was quite similar to Patrice Evra's effort ahead of their Europa League clash with Guimaraes. Uh, Evra aimed a little bit higher right. um, at the guy's head. What, 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 any latest info on that? Poor, poor Patrice. I, I feel bad, and I know I shouldn't be siding with the man who kicked somebody else in the head, but he's a, he's a lovely chap, and you just feel that something must have been said to him repeatedly for him to do that. Well, he actually, before the game, he came out and basically offered out the... Marseille end. Oh. Uh, people came down. I think then they went back on the pitch. Then the whole kicking thing in the he- kicking in the head thing happened. Right. And then he got sent off and was taking pictures with two kids. Uh, but at the um, at the weekend's match against Caen, uh, which Marseille won five nil, there mm. were numerous banners against him. So, for example, uh, you thought you were above the institution of Olympic Marseille and its supporters. Uh, we don't want you in our colours anymore. Evra, f- you, f- off. This uh, game is over. And uh, love for the shirt, respect for the supporters, professionalism. Is it too much to ask? Right. So I don't think there's any way back with the fans there. I don't want to... Yeah, I shouldn't be taking sides on that. I would suggest, though, that Evra probably can't live in that city anymore then because this is a, a, a town where bombs get placed mm. and, and that kind of thing. Uh, any, anyway, but lovely, also, lovely place, though. Also in that game, a uh, lovely celebration. Tovan scored the second goal and then went off and grabbed the camera and started filming all his mates. Yeah, I actually find that annoying when footballers really? grab a camera and pretend to be I a I haven't show. really seen anyone to uh, <laughs> grab a camera before. Oh, yeah, have you Totti not? Totti did, Totti did it. I did it, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, but he well, was doing himself, but he was a massive camera. You get the TV cameras, and possibly Totti did that as well. Um, all right. Oh. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. It's mm. like kissing the camera. I don't like that either. Also violence in Saint-Étienne. Yeah, well, so what was this riot? Nabi Fekir? So, so basically, Saint-Étienne-Lyon, the ancient derby, um, and Lyon managed to record the biggest ever win, 5-0 at Saint-Étienne. And um, for anyone who's been to the cities, I mean, they're very, very different. Um, so, I mean, Saint-Étienne, historically, I think it was gun-making, and now it's mostly warehouses. Isn't it mining town, Saint-Étienne? I think it was mining and gun... There was, was a lot of armoury there as well. Oh, right. okay. um, and obviously, Lyon is this big, affluent, glamorous place next mm. to it. Uh, Gastronomic capital of France. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful place. And also a lovely stadium. 
Stadium, Gerland, mm. well, the old stadium, big fan of that. Um, and um, so basically, Lyon are hammering Saint-Etienne, uh, it's 4-0, uh, Nabil Fekir uh, scores in the 86th minute, uh, one-on-one, just puts it away, takes off his shirt, holds it up to the Saint-Etienne fans, his mates mob him, next thing you know, the fans are on the pitch. And the game was held up for, I think it was 30, 40 minutes, and I think they pretty much finished in the empty stadium. And uh, one wonders what's going to happen to Saint-Étienne now, because I remember last season there was a riot as well. Uh, The stadium was closed, and then the whole section of them, Saint-Étienne fans, just turned up to the next game and, you know, carried on supporting the team as though nothing happened. Yeah, they climbed in over the... I think they got through the the, the museum shop, Mm. had access. They went into the shop and managed to... It was very clever. Anyway, uh, how was he? Did he manage to escape unscathed? Uh, I think all the players escaped escaped unscathed. Then some actually very good goals in there. Fikir's first, uh, Depay scored again, Mm. and uh, and Lyon looking pretty decent there in third place in France. Brilliant, Sasha. This has been an excellent league in a roundup. Um, in Germany, make you want to jump, jump. Your pinkers, <laughs> that is. They've they won another game. That's all, he, all they do is win. 3-1 away at uh, Borussia Dortmund at the Sigl Iduna Park. Uh, Jaden Sancho made a brief appearance and they extend their lead at the top of the Bundesliga. An 11-point swing since Jupp's taken yeah. over, I think. Wow. All um, right. Dortmund now one <clears throat> point in four games. Mm. Second biggest swing we've seen in, in <laughs> and you know where I'm going, don't you? Uh, Robin Zentner, the, the Mainz keeper. Ooh, yeah. yeah, brilliant. Yeah, the ball's passed back to him and, and the goalkeeper seems to be unaware of the concept of the ball that can move. I thought it, it did stop and then rolled on. But he didn't control it properly and then okay. obviously it, it, it still had some momentum and, and moved, but... It was the the glorious moment was obviously him trying to attempting to kick the ball and no ball being there. So the ball is that he's looked up and in the meantime the ball has rolled away. But in his peripheral vision, the penalty spot resembles the ball. Right, is that? It's a gestalt yeah. uh, oh. law of some similarity. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that. His, yeah, his brain filled in the gaps <laughs> for him. Exactly. He sees a, a white disc and the ball's white and swings at it and the look of confusion. <laughs> and you can imagine it. I mean, we've, yeah. I, I feel cheated though that it didn't end up in a, a, as a goal. It very nearly that, that did. really takes the edge off it. Yeah. Uh, oh, in Spain, Barcelona stay four points clear of Valencia. They they dusted off Paco Alcacer, and he scored two goals. And she's got eight in nine starts, which is pretty impressive since he never starts for Barcelona. Real Madrid also won against Las Palmas. I can't, was it 3-0 in the end or 2? It was 3-0, was it? Asensio second, though, Daniel. Did you see that? Yeah, he is He is a little dreamboat. And at the moment, given the climate at, at the Bernabeu, he's worth, st- you know, he's worth sticking on to because Karim Benzema and Ronaldo, I think, have got one goal this season in the league. Wow. Um, and Asensio is, is the reason for hope through this very, very sticky run. Um, just deserves to be starting more games. Mm. He, he hit that ball so hard. I, I, honestly, I cannot remember a ball being struck that hard really? ever. Really? Yeah. It's a gorgeous goal. Have a look at that. We'll talk about Italy a little bit in a bit, uh, but uh, let's just tidy up the rest of the Premier League weekend. Uh, Bournemouth got a win away at Newcastle. That's a big win for Eddie Howe. Sexy yeah. Eddie Howe. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit. It gets them out of the bottom three. Um, they didn't look like it was on the cards for the first half. Newcastle were the better team, and then uh, well, it was the, what was it, ninety-first uh, minute or so, wasn't it? Yeah, when and it was uh, coming. Daniel's favourite, Steve Cook. Yeah, oh. yeah, I'm a, a huge Steve Cook fan. Why are you a huge Steve Cook fan? Um, because I have a slightly bizarre tendency to latch onto players and give them too much love. 
too much individual love and I think he could easily have been called up to the England squad if he wasn't playing for Bournemouth maybe 18 months ago. He's had a slightly tricky time. Um, he's had a he's got a newborn baby and he, he didn't said in an interview that that kind of held him back. But he's a bit of a rags to riches story. Steve Cook, there was a fantastic interview with, with George Colkin in the Times with him maybe a year ago where he spoke about you know having to basically save up money for petrol to get to, tra- to and from training. Um, and he's now a, an established Premier League defender and a very good one. All right. Excellent. And the man who got them three points at the weekend. Three points for Huddersfield as well, up in 10th, as we mentioned. And their home record, only United, City and Arsenal have done better at home than, than the Terriers. I think I did. What, Van who? La Parra, who oh, picks yeah. up about 35 Wynaldum's yards cousin. out. Oh, mm-hmm. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, 35 yards out and no one closes him down. So he thinks, yeah, why not? <laughs> and he does. Certainly did. Top bins. Little stat about Huddersfield: they only Manchester City, Manchester United, and Tottenham have kept more clean sheets this season than them. Which that wasn't what they were known for in the Championship last season. Not at all. Uh, And uh, also shout out to Lursel: three saves all game, but two of them in uh, injury time, and they were lovely. Mm. And uh, he'll get mobbed after the game by his teammates because he definitely saved them the win. Tony Pulis was known for clean sheets, but not anymore, Daniel. No, he is. The next man for the chop, I think. Do you think? Yeah, I, if you speak to West Brom, it's, just, it's one of those. Has Tony Pulis ever been fired mid-season? I don't think so. No, uh, he always I left in he, May. There's a very notion sprains th- my brain. I think he was at Gillingham. Oh, really? But that might have been more to do with a fallout with Paul Scally, the chairman. Okay. He, but, but but anyway, sorry. Yeah, he. I think there's a, a conception that because it's Tony Pulis, West Brom will be all right. But if you speak mm. to their supporters, particularly the ones that go away from home. It's awful football, and, and the best way of describing it is that they don't look like creating chances, never mind scoring at the moment. Um, and they're on a, a winless run of 10 games, but that, that run includes Stoke, Leicester, Brighton, Huddersfield, poor Premier League teams in comparison with, with their ambitions. And mm. when Tony Poulis loses the ability to, to make a side stubborn, and when he loses the ability to keep a side out of the bottom four or five, the reasons for keeping him. They, they they fall away pretty quickly and and so does the goodwill he accrues because the football isn't great. Sometimes changing manager can do the world of good. Take the example of Leicester who came up with a, an exciting 2-2 draw uh, away at Stoke. Uh, things very exciting under Claude Puel. Yeah, they're they scoring goals and while Southampton failed to score goals, Claude Puel's reputation kind of grows twice, once for his old club and once for his new. And uh, Yeah, obviously they, they didn't win but a draw at Stoke for Leicester is... Is perfectly adequate, um, and yeah, he scored. I think they've scored two goals in every game. He's managed them. Right, um, is it three games now? Yep, it's yeah. not very many. Is it? And why didn't they win this weekend? Peter Crouch. Yes, <laughs> Peter Crouch, who Mark Schwartz wants uh, England to take along as a plan B. How do you feel about that? I think it's a plan. Yeah, I think D. it might be a few letters later in the alphabet <laughs> than that. Um, but scores uh, goals. But God bless him. Uh, in, best... in the scoring charts of English players in the Premier League. This season, he's, he's, he's probably right up there, isn't he? He's right up there, though I do think he might be 37 by the time mm. the, the World Cup rolls about. Mm. Um, I think there, there might be other options. But the best thing about that game, the noise that Shakiri's goal made. Oh. Because it hit the stanchion and gave it a really good resounding thud. Mm. I, I always think that should count double. Was it double. a thud or a doing? No, it was very much a tum. Okay. Like that. It was also very unusual because he scored from inside the box. Uh, it, it wasn't like one of those belters that he usually does. Yeah, oh, right. Shakiri will be in action against Northern Ireland on Thursday. Well, you imagine if he's picked 
But, but uh, Danny, are you doing a preview for this? Yeah, well, I'm, I will do as a sort of midweek column we do. Um, right. I, I think there was a, an air of celebration between Northern, within Northern Ireland fans when they when they drew Switzerland, and clearly Croatia really? and Italy were, were, you know, our good teams. But mm. Switzerland won their first nine qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, um, the big story of the, the end of qualifying was how on earth Switzerland, yeah. who'd been on that amazing run, they got their best ever points haul. They actually finished with more points than five of the nine group winners and yet they're still in the playoffs. And, and according to FIFA rankings, they are the toughest hmm. team Northern Ireland could, could I think, draw. I think the, the difficulty for Northern Ireland is that, is that Switzerland are, like them, a team that's better than its component parts. They're right. not a, you know, they're the antidote to, to Portugal, let's say. They've got um, some pretty good players. Yeah, they? yeah, they have. And they've got players who are, quite a lot of players who are 25 and under. So they are, they're, you know, bags full of energy. Right. Um, I fear for Northern Ireland, I'm afraid. Who's, who's their star forward now for Switzerland? Is this Harris yeah. I think he's a bit of a card horse. They've got they've got Durimich as well, haven't they? But um, he's he wasn't in the last squad. But yeah, Seferovic is the is the one. All right. Got goals out midfield with Shakiri. They've got uh, Jan Sommer, decent keeper. Lig Steiner, who's still doing it now. Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, I think thirty three now. But yeah, he's kind of their he's their rock. All right. Uh, Northern Ireland only lost one competitive game at Windsor Park in four years. Absolutely crucial. This first leg's at home, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's crucial that they get get the result and a big one here. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I fear for them. I suspect that the Swiss are, are too organised for them as a team. Northern Ireland clearly didn't limp into the into the playoffs, but this this feels like their level, if I'm honest. I, um, really? Uh, yeah, I fear for them. I think the Swiss will do what needs to be done in the away leg and then beat them at home. All right. We shall see. That's Thursday night. And as we mentioned before, Northern Ireland trying to reach the first World Cup since 1986. Switzerland were at the last one, reached the last 16, where I think Argentina put them out on penalties, didn't they? That does ring a bell. So, you know, bit bit of a pedigree there. Uh, The other Thursday night playoff is Croatia against Greece, which is worth mentioning, certainly for two reasons. One, best kits in international football, Croatia. Oh yeah, one yeah, fair chance. Peru, yeah. I'd always put Peru okay, above. Okay, Peru, love Peru a, love one of the sash. best two kits in yeah. international football. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, is Greece, who come into this, you know, traditional fashion with an amazing record for a gritty defensive work. However, they're going to be missing arguably their best pro- exponent of that, Costas Manolas. He's been suspended by FIFA for trying to manipulate his disciplinary record. Well, yeah, uh, he uh, he's found guilty of intentionally seeking a yellow card. He basically time wasted in the 90th minute of their win over Cyprus, which meant that he missed the game against Gibraltar. Fair dues, and they won four 0 anyway. But FIFA, and I, I can't remember this ever happening before, have gone back and said, "We're on to you, Sonny." So we're going to b- ban you anyway for the first oh, leg of the playoffs. Because David Beckham yeah, did exactly, this. Yes, yeah. da- David Beckham did he get done for Took it? a swipe. Um, no, but he did admit to it immediately afterwards. Right. Which which seemed to be like a cry for recognition that he's not as thick as everyone thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> Why didn't this guy just kick the ball away? That would be much easier to get booked now. Mm. I mean, it happens, but I don't remember people being suspended for it. Uh, right. Okay. Well, that's coming up on Thursday as well. Of course, there's all sorts of other big matches, um, including uh, a massive one for the Italians and their hopes mm. of getting to the World Cup. We'll, we'll we'll talk about all of that sort of thing on on Thursday. When we'll have a proper Italian section as well with James Horn, James Horncastle uh, coming in. Uh, among the stories we'll no doubt be covering there is is news of the Minardi. Of, of football, Benevento is the analogy of <laughs> Minardi in Formula One, uh, who have lost all their games so far. But oh my word, on Saturday, uh, they were 66 to 1 
away at Juventus, but they went and took the lead with a rare goal. A beautiful free kick as well from Amato Cicciretti. Badly set wall. He left the um, Chesney left the. Um, he could curl it around the wall. Basically, he didn't cover his corner. Oh, well, anyway. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Juventus came back, uh, Higuain and Cuadrado, and etc. So now um, Benevento have lost, was it a 12 now? Do you know who was the last side to lose their first 12 games in a season? Give us a clue of the country, James. Sasha, you know? Uh, Man United, early 30s. You are absolutely oh. right. 30-31 Man United, that one caught me... By I've been surprise. looking at these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, I think yes. um, for me, the um, sort of the team with the lowest points total ever is Tasmania Berlin. They were, I think, were in the third season of the Bundesliga. They got promoted completely randomly for political reasons because they needed the Berlin team okay. in the Bundesliga, and they picked up, um, I think, eight points, <gasps> which would have been ten points in the new currency. Right. And they're often seen as the team completely out of their depth. What was their name again? Tasmania Berlin. Tasmania. Uh, Why were yeah. they called Tasmania Berlin? Uh, I read something that it was something to do with the guys who were founding it, thinking of moving to Australia or something right. uh, in, the, in the early twentieth century, right. and they scored fifteen goals that season. Well, they certainly were down under in a very real sense. <laughs> very, very real sense. Yeah. yeah, and um, but Derby actually, if you go point for point, mm, when they yeah. picked up their eleven, did worse than Tasmania. Right. Well, Benevento look a safe bet to to pip both of those to the the world. A title for worst ever seasons. I mean, no points at all from 12 games, so a third of the way through the season, effectively. Almost. Can, can so, I mention one thing? The place yeah. Benevento uh, yeah. uh, is actually like ancient Roman settlement. Mm-hmm. It used to be called Malevento, which obviously bad events happen here. Yeah. So at some stage, the locals turned around and went, actually, let's get a nicer name. So right. back in the ancient times, it became Benevento from Malevento. Wow. I, there's probably like an old Indian cemetery there or something, isn't there? A burial ground. Barry, You'd think. Need Barry Fry to... <laughs> <laughs> now, elsewhere in City Out, other things we'll talk about on Thursday, no doubt, is the exciting uh, City Out title race, which now features the top three teams within two points of each other. Juve have moved into second with that win, ahead of Inter, who only uh, drew. Napoli, who are on top, drew as well. We, we mentioned Gulam's injury in our Champions League coverage last week, and the impact that might have certainly... Uh, very possibly part of the uh, the issue there in the draw with Chievo. Roma had a big win away at Fiorentina. That's now 12 away league wins in a row for uh, Di Francesco's side. And Milan, that game they had to win to save Vincenzo Montella, they did win it. They did, did it? win it, yep. Uh, 2-0, second, a beauty from Suzo, who one of the stories really of this last season and a half has been how well he's been doing since his... His, his move to the Rossoneri. Uh, they're up to a Gidding seventh place. And no doubt that whole one game to save Montella's job will be back up and running in a fortnight's time. George Ware is still not president of Liberia. God oh, damn it. How many more rounds? Uh, well, no, the, the latest uh, voting, the runoff, uh, that's been suspended by Liberia's Supreme Court, who ruled that a case alleging widespread fraud in the first round should be heard. How about that? Just keeping you up to date, Daniel, on the uh, Liberian presidential elections. I'm offended you didn't think I already was. No, oh, <laughs> beg your pardon. Uh, anything else uh, that you would like to mention? I, I would like to mention, Premier League-wise, mm. just how bad Southampton are at shooting. OK. Um, Claude Puel, when he was appointed at Leicester, was um, pretty bolshy in his, in his first press conference when he was accused of playing boring football. And he said, 
to paraphrase, he said, look at those strikers I've just left behind. Look at the strikers I've got here. Don't worry about it. Um, and that is completely proven out. Southampton, are, they rank fifth for chances created and shots on target this season. They rank 19th and 20th for shot conversion and shot accuracy. They are terrible in the final third. Absolutely terrible. And they've not even played many good teams yet. And if you're looking for a team that might fall into crisis and get relegated this season, they would be my shout because they are, unless they improve very quickly in front of goal, and this has been happening for sort of two years now, they are going to get dragged into trouble very quickly. Right. um, They are currently four points clear of the drop. Mm. They go away to Liverpool. Then they have what I presume will be a resurgent Everton under Sean Dyche at home. Then they go away to Man City. So it's not a nice little run coming. Mm. But I don't think you expected fireworks from Pellegrini because he was very miserly at Alaves last season. So um, this sort of makes sense. Yeah, the the, the kind of bringing together a miserly manager and a dreadful strike force quite often can lead to not many goals being scored. It was moida. Yeah. All right. Sasha, anything, anything else you want to throw into this mix before we... Uh, last night, the Super Clásico Caliente, as La Nación called it in uh, Buenos Aires. Oh, yeah. As okay. uh, Boca won at River, 2-1. Uh, two sendings off, a couple of spectacular goals. Guys, check it out on YouTube. Uh, and now, mm. you know we're saying City are eight points clear now. Yeah. In Argentina, Boca Juniors have won eight games out of eight, scored 21, conceded two, and then nine points clear after eight. Nine points after eight I'm Running games. away with it. That old joke, I wonder how good the seniors must be. Hey, hey, hey. Um, Ian? No, I've got nothing. Okay, that's it then. We are back on Thursday, unless you're in the Birmingham area, in which case, do come and join us at the Glee Club on Wednesday evening. Many, many thanks to you for listening in today. Have yourselves a super couple of days, and we'll see you soon. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.